Hello, everybody, and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and today I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our listening audience today. Always nice to be with you on a Thursday evening. Yes. Now, the show this week is sponsored by the Rowing Concierge. This is a service that we offer if you have a personal question and you'd like to get the insight of an experienced rower or an experienced coach who might be able to give you some guidance around your situation. Just go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash concierge and you can book a 15 minute consult with us on our calendar. And we look forward to seeing some of you over there. Now, this past week, this is the time in the show where Marlene and I talk about the work we're doing more broadly to advocate for Masters Rowing. And I can kick off and tell you that I've um, reached out to a couple of media organisations in the UK. And we are keen to do a special webinar series with them. Uh, details are still being ironed out. Um, but keep your eyes and ears open if you're based over in the UK. Secondly, I've been trying on the instructions of other masters here in New Zealand. We have a mid-winter masters championships in September. So it's kind of like the equivalent of having it in early March uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. And we sought to get a consultation going to change the date. Uh, two alternatives were offered, either October, which is sort of moving more into springtime where the weather might be nicer, or May, which is autumn. Having tried to do this uh, through the formal channels, which is through the provincial rowing associations who then consult with their member clubs, uh, we're finding that an enormous number of masters said our clubs haven't consulted with us. So either the provincial associations didn't tell the clubs all the club committees and boards didn't consult with their master's membership. And I'm slightly at a loss to know what to do except to tear my hair out and say we should try again next year because we have, we've missed the deadline for getting something onto the order paper for the annual general meeting for Rowing New Zealand. Uh, so we can't, um, we can't do anything this year. But it had been my hope that we might be able to at least have um, a bit of a discussion. And discussions were had, but it's just individual masters are feeling that they didn't get consulted. And I don't really know what to do, to be honest. Well, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a really common problem in the rowing world, especially when we have to rely on procedures and organizations and other people moving agendas along you know and i and i think that is something that masters deal with a lot if they're not on the agenda and not being heard and you know it's just i think mm. keeping the conversation going i mean i i think once the topic passes even if something hasn't happened immediately you have to keep it going so that the idea doesn't doesn't die away that that you continue building on the idea if it there's not time this year to work on it for next year if there's if there's real interest in it and you know snail pace 
Exactly. And the, the frustrating thing for me is that the channels of communication didn't work. I've I've no reason to believe that provincial associations didn't contact the clubs in their area. But I, you know, it's then up to the clubs to speak to their members. And so, you know, you can kind of do the back channel thing and try and get the members to go and speak to their committees and say, we hear that you have been requested, you know, can we mm -hmm. please speak on this matter but again you know it takes a lot of people to motivate it to you know, get going yes it does and, it, and it, it takes it takes goodwill on the part of the people who are the organizers at the provincial levels especially if that's how your federation is organized mm -hmm. that things rely on what what happens at the provincial level to bring that down to the clubs yeah. so i understand <laughs> What have you been up to this week? Well, actually, I'm 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 sort of doing local stuff, really, um, because our home club is is getting ready. You know, we had a snowstorm on Monday, so you know we get excited that the ice melted, but then we got you know ten centimeters of snow. But um, but you know, working on the local level, getting talking to our masters, um, organizing programs. Uh, our town is organizing a safety committee for the lake. So mm -hmm. that's something new that that's that's come up that I will be um, involved with. At least I've been asked to give input. So I think that's a really good step when you have a lot of different people using your water. For example, rowers who are blind boats, stand-up paddleboard uh, swimmers, kayakers, water skiers, people going different directions. And, um, you know, I think this is a nice attempt to have people from different disciplines who are using the lake mm. to, you know, make people aware. Because I think sometimes people aren't aware, you know, rowing is relatively new here and people aren't aware that we can't see you if you're swimming in the lake and don't have a bright bathing cap on or if there's not a traffic pattern. So, you know, there mm. are definitely definitely things to to talk about so I think that's a really positive thing so that's sort of a safety for all on the lake yeah, order it business it, it's and it, it 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 is good because you know you can end up with things like uh, signage at the places the public boat ramps where people can access the water yes exactly and for example in, in Whistler when I used to coach in Whistler BC it's a 2000 exactly a 2000 meter lake where they also run the Canadian Ironman. So it's a qualifier mm -hmm. for Hawaii in Canada. And they and they have a lot of open water swimmers training there. So, mm -hmm. you know, such an action ended up that that there's one side of the lake has a buoyed lane that's just for swimmers. Mm -hmm. And swimmers have to wear, you know, neon bathing caps. But so that's not, that cooperates with the singles. But when there are people, you know, swimming perpendicular to the traffic pattern you know that that's dangerous so but you know i'm glad the dialogue is opening i think it's important when you have a lot of people enjoying the lake so we once uh, had a rowing crew from my club that hit a swimmer on her head with an oar and you know skulls bleed a lot um she she didn't lose consciousness or anything. She, you know, they stopped. They realized what had happened. She grabbed onto the boat. They were able to help her to shore, but she had to go to hospital for stitches. Yes. Well, um, I mean, it's scary. And, and, and 
if somebody, it's just like driving. If somebody's, if you're in a single and somebody's in your blind spot, or for example, uh, things like wearing bright colored clothing on the lake, you know, when you have dark water and you have trees along the shore, if you're in a, in a dark colored shirt, you blend into the trees and then you can't see somebody sometimes who's on the water. So, so I think it's I important. Heard, it is. I've heard of clubs that require the bowman to wear a, a, a high-vis jacket. Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, yeah, or a hat, just a hat, something that's visible or don't paint your oars dark blue, <laughs> you know, you know, white blades, white blades, at least, you know, mm. flick flicker in the light and fishermen can see them. But if everything is dark, it's, it's, Difficult Pretty sunlight. challenging. <laughs> so hello to uh, some of our live listeners and watchers. It's always very nice to see you guys and girls. Um, very, 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 very nice to, to know that we have people who clock in to say hello to us. Now we are concluding our cycle of the stroke cycle, where we've been doing a series of episodes running through all the different parts of the stroke cycle. <laughs> um, and finally, we have the placement. So kick us off, Marlene. What's the placement? Oh, gosh. This is the focus of people's life in the boat. No, I, I'm kidding. But obviously, how you place the oar in the water, um, the entry is very important how you get pressure on the blade is is obviously key to moving a boat well so one of the the first things that you have to understand is as you when you're placing the blade in the water first of all you have to remember that you're on the move this is dynamic so it has to be a a continuous motion and i think the the challenges um for many many rowers is they want to stop their wheels and then place the blade in the water. And, and mm. you have to remember that the entry is the final action of the recovery. So if you are on the recovery, that means your wheels are still turning. Okay. If we're going to put it in a, I like to put it in a, a very simple definition here that your wheels must be turning. You are still compressing. The blade is, is you're preparing the blade, but you're still compressing as you're, you're placing the blade in the water. And it's very important not to stop and then put the blade in the water because the boat is moving and then we have what's called mist water. So, so minimizing our mist water is called minimizing slip. And if you, if you visualize placing the blade in the water, try to imagine that there's the moment when the bottom edge of, of the blade is entering the water. Now, you know, the whole system is moving towards the finish line. So, you know, as, as the blade first enters, it's also traveling in the same direction the boat is. Try to imagine that you're placing the blade, the bottom edge, and you're getting the blade all the way buried before you start to put pressure, your pressure on the handle. And, and, this all happens very, very quickly, but but if you, I think first to successfully work on the entry and getting the blade in the water, you have to visualize what you want. And often, I, if there's a, a discrepancy at the at the front end, I I will ask the rower, describe to me what you do and how you know when to put the blade in the water. So right there, I think you, so you have to you have to problem solve what you want your blade to do. And, and if you 
don't have a clear idea, that's going to lead to some of our common common issues like the blade skying or not getting the blade in the water and getting the pressure correctly. So the first thing I think is to, to work on it is to, to visualize. Once you place the blade in the water, you, you if you can place the blade in the water and then let the blade get buried versus the blade touching the water and the blade starting to move and getting buried as it moves, that's going to be a big difference in, in your effectiveness and not missing water. So when we talk about missing water, it's the difference between where the bottom edge touches the water and where the blade actually gets buried. And if you were video recording someone, you could measure that distance. You could actually see that distance. Do they, do they start the drive as the blade is rowing into the water or is the blade being placed and then the drive, the drive is starting? So that's where I would start. What a great description. And it is something that we've talked about a lot in the past, about thinking in the direction of travel. And when we're talking about it, it sounds so oblique and a little hard to understand, but it really shows up in what Marlene's just described. And I'm going to play now with my hand here, my hand being the oar and the words on the screen that say the placement. So you want your blade to come along the recovery and then to go down towards the water and be moving in the direction of travel when it's fully buried. And you can see now my blade's fully buried. I'll do that again. So it comes high above the water and then moves down and is fully buried before you take the stroke. And that is really challenging. It's terribly difficult to learn in a single. It's much easier to experiment with this in a crew boat where you can have a partner sit the boat level for you. Because the sort of experimentation you want to do is all around your hands and your hand height. So starting off with your hands, you need to realize that your handle on the recovery moves further and faster than your seat. So you might think that, you know, I'm rolling forwards and my handles are moving at the same, but they're not. What they have to be able to do is to obviously first lead you up the recovery, but the distance they travel needs to go all the way around to the side of the boat where you're reaching out, whether you're sweep or sculling, your handle, you need to visualize that handle moving further and faster. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing is about the height that you are holding the handle. And this is what controls the oar coming down toward the water so that your ideal is the millisecond that your seat changes direction is the millisecond that the blade has gone into the water. And as you change direction, you start your leg drive. And that's really, really challenging because it is, it can be an absolutely tiny fraction of time. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot going on. So I'll walk you through what my checklist is when, when I, when I'm in the single and, and I'm working on, on placing, placing the blade in the water and, and um, hopefully focusing on, on good timing. This is, this is my mental checklist from from let, let's start midway on the recovery okay let's 
let's say that already I've set my body angle. My body angle is set. My knee, my knees are are coming up, and we're we're starting to approach the the top quarter of the slide. When I start, I I like to synchronize. When I, when I start to roll up my blade, that's also when I make sure that I've got pressure on the foot stretcher already. So not starting the drive, but just establishing connection because your feet have to be ready to push. So I like to match those points that, you know, preparation of my feet, preparation of the blades. And then as you're, as you're compressing, okay, focus on this motion, motion of, of the hips. As you're compressing, just like what Rebecca just talked about, you have to continue moving the seat and the handle until the blades are in the, in the water. So I'm thinking about, okay, my arms are opening up. I'm in a single, my hands, my hands are moving, are separating wider than the boat and my hips are still moving. My seat is still in motion. It may not be fast, but it is still in motion. You have not stopped. And I'm, I'm thinking of staying tall and keeping my weight against the oarlocks, against the rigor, so that I'm not going to overreach. I'm not going to lose my balance on my feet before the, before the blade is in the water. So keep your, you're compressing slightly. You're, you're preparing your blade. Your, your blade is square. I actually think of this, keep going until the water is there. And mm. I know that this <laughs> kind of freaks some people out. But if you got your blade prepared, if you've got your weight on your feet, if you are focusing on squeezing out that little bit of compression at the top of the slide, you have, you know, if you're keeping your weight against the oarlock, you are not going to lose your stability because that's what's st stabilizing your upper body and helping to stabilize the boat. So you need, there's going to be a moment when you need to go in the water. Because if you go farther, you're going you're going to overreach, or you're going to you're going to put too much weight on your feet, or some something's going to happen. You're going to become unstable. So so the key is is keep your weight distributed, stay balanced, but continue to move those wheels as you place the blade in the water, and it will be there, and you will never run out of track. I don't know why, but it, it's never it's never happened. And when the blade goes in. Okay, once you've contacted the water, just soften your hands for just a moment. Like, don't take your hands off the handles, but just soften the tension on your handles for a moment once the blade is in. So you direct the blade in, but soften. When you soften your hands, even just mentally for a moment, that's enough time for the blade to get buried. Mm. Then, then, takes yeah. Over, well, and you're going to feel when you, that, then you're going to feel. There, it, you know, it's kind of a simultaneous motion that when you, when the blade gets the water pressure, you know, it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Do you put the, does the water put the pressure on the blade or you put the pressure on the handle? Happens kind of at the same, you know, you have to put pressure on the handle to get pressure on the water. But the handle is going to start moving then when it gets, when it's buried and it, it gets loaded, your handle is going to start to move. And that's what you have to feel for is allowing that little moment, just like we talked about, the moment from where the bottom edge touches to where the blade gets buried. You have to keep your thumbs separated at that point and relax your hands just a bit 
and allow the blade to go down. So there's a little different rhythm in here. I think of it like in, set, go, in, set, go. There is a set. And, and, and oftentimes when one is missing water, they're missing the set part. It's just in, yes. go, in, go, in, go. And the blade's moving a lot and there's a lot of turbulence. So that's how I walk through it in, in my mind. And one of the ways that I like to work on it and have other scholars work on it is doing pause drills. You know, pause arms and body away, then put your focus when you break the pause from breaking the pause to the entry. And so you can use pause drills for that part of the stroke as well. And it just slows everything down, gives you, gives you time. And um, uh, Rich is asking, and the thumbs are on the end of the handles. Yes. But that's not what's applying. A, you're, that's not your focus of pressure. You know, I mean, I actually keep my, you know, your thumb is there, but if you're putting a lot of body weight through your thumb, your thumb is, you're going to have problems with your joint eventually. But I actually, if you can see my hand, I actually cap my index finger on the corner. And then mm -hmm. I let my thumb rest on the end of the handle where it's comfortable because I'm thinking about my finger reminding me to keep weight against the orlocks. That's my reminder. And your, your hand, your hand has to slightly pivot on the handle to, to keep that alignment because, because your oar is at an angle. So, so as you're sweep, sweeping out, whether you're in, in a sweep boat or a sculling boat, you know, your oar is at an angle and you're moving on an arc. So you, you have to allow that, you know, to stay square to the oar. You have to allow a little bit of motion there. So, so my thumb is there, but I don't, I don't use a lot of pressure. I think of it as just a guide. You know, you just, you want to make sure that you've got that weight against the oarlocks, but you do that by keeping weight over the handle. If you keep weight over the, over the hands, and Rebecca has talked about that on a number of occasions on the recovery, if you keep weight over the handle, that's going to keep you, your weight into the oarlocks. So it gives you the ability to relax your hands and keep that weight above the handle, above the plane, so you can direct the oar a little bit better. Yeah, one thing to remember is that your boat is still moving in a forward direction, whether your oar is in the water or not. Correct. And so one of the things that Marlene just described when she said, in, set, go, is that the oar handle starts to move, and it will start to move even if you do not put any pressure on it, because the boat is moving past that point in the water. And as we've mentioned before, the boat moves past the blade. The blade very moves a very, very little amount. It actually is in a single place and your boat kind of leapfrogs it through the stroke. So one of the pauses that we enjoy doing from time to time is called feel time. And you do it as a pause drill where you get the blade in, you feel the set, and then you go and you can exaggerate this. So we used to do it in a cox boat and we had the coxswain call it. Mm -hmm. So we called it calling the catches. You put the blade in, you'd feel it and he'd go, go, go. And he'd wait until he could see our blades are in the water. And then we would progress and we would halve the field time. So you go from however long it was, half the amount of time and then halve it again. And so it became very much a, a game to get your mm -hmm. blade into the water early so that you had 
a tiny bit of field time. Yeah, oh, I like that. I like that trail. That's a new one for me. Let, let me give people a little, here's a little advanced tip. And, and this is, uh, I'll talk about this from, from the, the single, but you, you can do this the same um, in a sweep boat. To minimize that slip, which is, as we talked about, the blade breaking the surface of the water and getting buried without starting, without, you know, minimizing that, that slippage there. So one of the ways that, that I work on that is we talked about keeping our hands as the blade is entering the water, just a little bit of loop. Just you want to have soft hands so that you can feel the water and you can let the water do its work. Okay. Because you can overwork the entry and you don't want to overwork the, the entry. But as the blade is going in and getting buried, I just, this is, this is actually for Rich who's listening. This is when I use my thumbs. When the blade touches the water and is getting buried, I think of just maintaining the distance between my thumbs until I feel the pressure on the blade. So this is a split second. It's not a lot, but it is the, it allows that moment of intention allows time for the blade to get in the water. And if you're video recording someone, a really good entry is like three frames, you know? So it's really quick. It's really quick. The time it touches to the time it gets in. So if you record yourself, you can actually, if you do it on slow motion or frame by frame, you can actually measure how long it takes you to what from the time you touch the water to the time your blade gets buried and say it takes six frames and then you work on that and then you get it down to five frames and four frames, you know, that then you can see that you're, you're quantifying that you're, you're making some improvement. Yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you about the frames. That worked really well when we had tape, magnetic tape for our video recordings. Modern cameras, the frame speed is so much faster. If you can do it in three seconds with a modern camera, I, I want to see it because I've never, ever seen it. But you're absolutely right. In the old days when we used VHS tape, my friend Joe you're listening joe chesney you managed a three frame placement in r4 and jeepers it was very very impressive well, you, i never did it myself well if you use if you use an app that does video analysis that has a wheel you can ah. move it frame by frame ah like like well, coach's eye which which is going out of is going yeah is going out of service when when it's in the video analysis mode it'll oh, it'll have a, a little wheel and then you can move it slowly so so yes if it, if you're just doing it at playback speed it's a little bit hard you know unless you put it on like really really slow speed if you have that adjustment um but but yeah you know Let's i mean any way you can quantify it right <laughs> so anyway and and you know you're just looking to map your own skill and your improvement Exactly. Let's move on to some drills that you can practice for the placement. So the first one that Marlene's already mentioned are pausing drills, and uh, we've already described those. I've got a couple of additional ones that I'm going to suggest. One is very similar to what Marlene has just described, but is an exaggeration drill. And if you think of your hands on the handle, and I'm going to imagine first that I'm doing sweep rowing. 
What you do is you straighten your thumbs out so that they are along the length of the handle. They can be very nearly touching instead of having them gripping underneath the handle. And as you roll forwards the last quarter of the slide after the blade is square, you're going to push with those thumbs, push the handle away. And it gives you a really good sense of keeping the handle moving toward the stern of the boat. And you will feel that bottom edge of the blade touch the water and you're going to push the blade upwards so the handle comes on a horizontal trajectory through the recovery and then after you've squared your blade the handle trajectory rises until it's at the correct height with the blade buried in the water with no color from the spoon showing so that think of it as a diagonal upwards line so that can also be done in a sculling boat on your handles, instead of having your thumbs on the end, just allow your hands to slide down the grips a little so that your thumbs are extended instead of being on the ends. And you can still do it. You push away with your thumbs as your arms separate as you're coming up to the catch. And you can then progressively bring your thumbs back and back and back closer so that you're actually holding the handles in a normal grip. And you might choose just to really just think about pushing with your thumbs. And that helps both with the lateral pressure and with this diagonal upwards movement of the handles. You done that oh, one? I like that. No, that's a, that's a new drill for me. So I love it. You hear that, Faster Master? So this is why it's important to listen to podcasts and listen to other coaches and have conversations. And, you know, you learn another drill to put in your, your toolbox. So... One little tip I have also is when you are on the recovery and you're approaching your entry, simply do not chicken out, okay? That's when, when we're talking about keeping the wheels moving, and I love this drill that Rebecca just talked about, like keep the motion going. You know, stay connected, stay stable, but it's continuous it has to be you know this is the difficulty with the entry is that you've got to do it on the fly you've got to get used to taking this in motion so you don't want to chicken out which means don't stop your wheels and keep everything going if you stop your wheels you have chickened out um, but i think a really good way to get this feel of of um, placing the blade on the move is to row at three-quarter slide. So, yeah. so whenever you have an issue at the entry, back up to three-quarter slide and then start working on what it is that you want to work on because you do not have that pattern at three-quarter slide that you have at the top of the slide. And so when you when you want to make some corrections, back up a little bit, you know, just, you could go to seven A's, but I think a three quarter slide works because if you're, you're on the move, you have no habit mm -hmm. of stopping your wheels at three quarter slide. So it's a good way to help perfect that timing. And you could practice the, this drill with your thumbs um, laying on uh, going along the handle. You can, you can practice and get the feel and then as you get the feel, you just, ex you know, extend the compression a little bit. But but you need to get that sense of, of placing the blade on the move. You don't want to stop and think about it because 
everything's the, yeah the boat's moving you know it's you miss the so bus right <laughs> build on that on that three-quarter slide you can build on it by trying to make a backsplash with your oar so you deliberately hit the bottom edge of this oar on the surface of the water as you're pushing your handles away from you so you really want to make a, the as the oar goes in you want a bit of water splashing backwards so toward the bow so you can do this as an exaggeration drill and if you do it from three quarter slide it will help you to work out how high that diagonal line lifting your handle up is needs to be because if you don't hit the water you will have come in and sliced down and you won't have put the oar in at your full reach and you will be missing water so do a backslash drill do it for like 10 strokes and keep exaggerating until you can make a really big splash and remember <laughs> if you splash early if you you know you're at you're starting the movement at three quarter slide and it comes maybe at seven eighths before you've got to full compression don't worry just put the blade in take that stroke and correct it the next stroke so this is about uh, you learning how to accommodate this new movement and it's worth doing it in a not in a violent way but in a deliberately exaggerated way to lift the handles up because if the boat is not perfectly level and it won't be this is normal life isn't it um you need to make an exaggerated movement so that both of your blades go in the water at full compression and you don't go kind of one two um on one side and the other so until you can learn to do this movement and keep the boat perfectly level and that'll take some time you're going to have to do an exaggerated movement and it doesn't matter if the blade goes a little bit too deep you can yeah. correct that when you're in the power phase so be confident and courageous as you do these exaggeration drills yes exactly and everyone listen to what rebecca said it's an exaggeration drill okay it's an exercise and that's going to help you move to improving the placement because what we're after is the blade entering the water as you're moving with the boat and when your when your timing gets really good your your splash is going to be very small and it's essentially going to be it's 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 going to be a little v if you if you put your blade in the water with the speed of the boat the the splash will be simply the displacement of the blade if your timing is perfect so backsplash moves you in that direction to keep you thinking in the direction of the boat and towards the bow however if you're backsplashing all the time and we mean it here as a drill if you're backsplashing all the time you're slow you're late going in the water so you you you're going to adjust that but first get this feedback of which way the blade is moving and try to make that splash on purpose, but understand why you're doing it. I think that's a really important point with all drills. And then you're going to move to refine the timing. And as your timing gets better, the splash becomes less. I mean, what I'm always looking for is I want to see as little splash as possible because that means you've got really good timing and the timing is, you know, is with the speed of the boat. And you know, your timing at 18 is not the mm -hmm. same as your timing at 32 strokes a minute.
because the speed of the boat is different. So as your skills get better, you can you can learn that. But um, it's it's a challenge. It, I mean, it takes. That's what we work on for years and years and years. But you know, you you have to have the right mindset first and understand what you're wor working towards. And I like rowing in circles also, with one hand, or even in a pair, one one rower rowing, and if you're if you row a lot by yourself and you don't have a coach with you rowing circles with one oar is a great way to work on the entry because you can watch your blade and see what it's doing and you can try some of these exercises in a little bit more of a controlled environment work you know work on port work on starboard uh you can do this in a pair as well you can even do it in a four actually but if when you're by yourself rowing circles and watching what your blade is doing is some of the best feedback that you can give yourself. Yeah. The perfect placement has a little V splash, both in front and behind the spoon. If you get no splash at all, the chances are that you are A, slow and B, slicing into the water. So you have missed water. Um, and so I personally really like to see a bit of backsplash even if it's just a tiny bit now this is not what everybody coaches so please understand that your coach locally may may have a, a different opinion um i'm also known for splashing the person behind me so i splash myself in the bow of the double um and uh, which is one why I like in winter having one of those waterproof backs to your your shield. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a shield, but, put a bubble. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a, a water shield. So, yeah, exactly. Sharon and I, we're the we're the queens of splash in in our club. So people people know, uh, but it is all about getting that placement timing, and it is something that I continue to refine. So. If you go away from rowing for a bit and or maybe you switch from sweep to sculling and you come back again, one of the first things that you lose are your fine motor skills and the placement is where it shows up the most. You may also have trouble feathering and squaring, but probably you will find that that will come back quite quickly. But getting the boat level, getting the weight over the handles, getting it level on the recovery and timing your placement is something that takes quite a long time. In fact, there was a really lovely uh, post on the Masters Rowing International Facebook group this past week from uh, Cece Aguda, where she talks about coming back to the boat in the spring after being off the water quite a bit in the winter and how this is exactly what she feels. And the challenge of it is always the same. Every single year you think, surely <laughs> I'm going to learn this, but you don't. You really do lose your fine motor skills that quickly. Well, and that's, and yeah, and that's one of the first things when you're going from indoor rowing back to outdoor rowing, it, it is one of the things that you notice right away. And, you know, always go back. I, I like the, the way that Rebecca frames this and you always go back to the boat and the speed of the boat. So this also means um, it's different from a single to a double. It's different from a single to a quad. It's different from a double to an eight. So that the timing is relative to the speed of the boat. However, if you take the core principles, which we're talking about, which is maintaining the compression, maintaining the correct handle heights and the preparation and keeping your weight 
against the orlock so that you continue to follow that arc as your hands move out around the gunnel. If you stay in motion, you are with the speed of the boat. And so you don't have to guess what it is. You just follow it, follow the boat. That's based on that kind of having a consistent relationship with your, your orlock and staying on your, staying on your circles, right? If you lose your arc, as you're as you're approaching the entry by overreaching, that's going to have a you know really big negative impact on your timing. So you just just you know keep going till the water's there. Keep going till the water's there. There's another t-shirt slogan from Molly. <laughs> yeah. You heard it first. Yeah. Yes. So that concludes our stroke cycle uh, sequence of podcasts, and we are going to put this together it is already a playlist in our youtube channel and we're going to put it up on our website as a free training course um, and when we're ready with that we'll tell you how to go and find it and you'll be able to watch these all one after the other and take your own notes and um, take a look into each one and decide what you would like to work on yeah. so rebecca is the the youtube channel the rowing chat channel correct yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Anywhere where you're already watching this. Now, I'm just going to show you, because I forgot to do it earlier, this glorious photograph from Michelle Hammers. And this is in Utrecht in the Netherlands. And it is the rowing marathon. And I don't quite know how far they row, but he put up a whole series of photographs mm -hmm. of these people. You can see they're all in touring boats, coxed quads in touring boats and they're lining up next to a street full of the most beautiful classic Dutch houses along a canal. That looks really fun. Doesn't it? His yeah. later photographs were right out in the countryside. Um, so it clearly the, the canal goes out of the city quite quickly. So thank you to our, our, our listeners, Glenda's enjoyed the series. We're very, very pleased to uh, to hear that. And uh, someone is asking, saying that I've got a nice shirt and a nice background. So to celebrate <laughs> the background, no, I'm not in the Netherlands, but yes, this is a Dutch rowing shirt, which a friend gave me. And Vocal uh, de Nere used to sponsor the uh, Dutch rowing teams. You can see it's got the rampant lion holding a blade, which I is a rather nice symbol and it's bright orange which is of course very much how the uh how the dutch roll everything's orange and you if you go 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 to a supermarket leading up to that sort of national day you can buy everything orange from <laughs> yeah. the toilet roll trust me it's brilliant candles ain't got nothing on that well thank you everybody for joining us uh, for this edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. Uh, please tell your friends if you've enjoyed the show today. Uh, we would very much appreciate it if you would consider making a donation to our podcast. Go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast and donations start at one US dollar a month. And we are very grateful to everybody who supports our podcast on an ongoing basis because there certainly are a few overhead costs that we um, that we have to manage. And until next time, we wish you all the best. Enjoy your rowing. Get back on the water. Get practicing your catches. 
And if you want to get notifications of this podcast, do join our mailing list. And we send an email once a week to explain what's been going on and what's coming up. And it has links in it to both the video and the audio version of this. And we know some people prefer one and, and some people prefer the other. So till next time. Yes. Hopefully I'll be on the water next time we talk. <laughs>